Um, it's good to see you. Can I pray uh, before we begin? Heavenly Father, thank you for this book of Malachi, for the way it challenges us, uh, addresses our hearts, and for the way you, being such a gracious God, uh, calling us back into relationship with you, calling us to find our joy and our satisfaction in you. Thank you for the way you do that in your word. Lord, it's a, it's a joy, it's a delight, it's uh, our life. And so we pray you'd shape us today through it. Lord, you're serious, as we'll see, about conforming us to the image of your Son. So I pray, Lord, that we would hear and uh, submit ourselves to your desires for our lives, that you would shape us and conform us to your will, for your glory and for our eternal delight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in a fourth part of our series on Malachi. And as you would have seen, we've kind of oddly uh, taken two parts of the book, but they actually fit nicely together. So last week we looked at part of chapter 3. This week we're looking at the first part of chapter 3 and and then chapter 4. It's not a huge passage. It's still only about 12 verses or something, but they actually fit together. And it's this whole idea of justice. Now... It didn't feel like a warm and fuzzy passage, did it? And so it's important that we sort of recap where we've been in this book. We've been talking about wholehearted worship. What have we learned so far about wholehearted worship? We learned that primarily it's all about a love relationship with God and everything that flows from that. It's all about uh, how much God loves us and it's all about relationship with him, living in light of that relationship. And actually, we can't, as I said last week, we actually can't understand really anything about what God's telling us unless we get that first, that if we've been brought into relationship with him through Christ, then we're his people, like Israel, his treasured possession, and he loves us. And so all of the commands he gives us come under that light. Now, how do you feel about God's judgment? How do you feel about the idea of God coming to judge? It's not a very pleasant idea, is it? We're going to see today that wholehearted worship is about delighting and rejoicing in God's big plan. It's about seeing your life in God's big picture and delighting in it. I wonder if you've ever, as a kid, played this game, um, which uh, in Winnie the Pooh it's called Poo Sticks. Have you ever played that game where you stand on a bridge and you might put leaves in the water or sticks? And here we were at some place in the Lake District and there was a, a basket, very convenient, full of sticks and it said, play Poo Sticks. And so we did. So there we go. And so the kids are playing poo sticks, which is just the idea of you see which your stick is going to beat the other sticks. You get the idea. Winnie the Pooh was very proud of himself for discovering this game. Um, And you know, from that vantage point, you see all these sticks floating down the river. Now I want you to imagine for a moment that your life is like maybe a little boat. You're one of those sticks floating down the river. And in our lives, we often, you know, get caught up in what's going on on the small picture. Here I am, and I'm looking at this person racing past, and and that's what I'm concerned about. Or I'm stuck in this little swirl over here, and my life doesn't seem to be going anywhere. But actually, there's this big plan that God has. And all people are under his sovereign plan and his sovereign will. And we often miss it, don't we? And so life doesn't make sense. And so wholehearted worship is about seeing and understanding God's big plan, which he gives us in his word, and submitting to it and delighting in it. And that means delighting in his character and his judgment. Another thing we could say about wholehearted worship is it's loving what God loves and hating what he hates. And God, loving God's kingdom and his big agenda for the world. 
loving God's plan and being excited about his plan. So a good question to ask you would be, are you excited about God's big plan? Are you excited about it? Are you excited about God judging sin and wickedness? And this is the context we need to see today, is that God's judgment also needs to come under the, through the lens of God's love. Why does God judge the world? Why is God going to judge the world? Because sin and misery, sin brings misery and death. God hates misery and death. And so he's going to destroy sin and misery once for all. And so to be a worshiper means delighting in God's judgment because it's good. He's going to bring about a kingdom that's perfect and destroy sin forever. And so we're looking at this passage today. And it's a little bit like this passage. It's the last passage of the Old Testament, isn't it? And what you get, it's like when you go on a walk and you, 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 you know, you're in the woods and then you, the path goes uphill and you're at the top of the hill and you can see all around you and you can see where you've been and you can see where you're going. And we're told today to look back in this passage and to look forward and to really orient ourselves with what's God, what God's doing. So it's, a, it's one of those lookout kind of passages and we'll see one of those passages where you get a good vantage point about where we've been and where we're going. So do you delight in God's plan, his big picture? Are you living in light of the big picture or are you too consumed with the day-to-day? Are you too consumed with the day-to-day? Are we living with God's kingdom in view? So here's the outline today. Uh, we, we, We need to know God's plan, to have an awareness of what his plan is, see the big picture. Second, we want to rejoice in his plan. Being worshippers means delighting in his plan, not resisting it, but trusting him, submitting to his plan and delighting in it, even if we don't understand it. And third, to remember the covenant, to remember. So there's a looking forward, there's a looking back. So knowing his plan, looking forward to what he's going to do, looking back to what he's done and knowing what he says for us. So remember the covenant, or we could say here, remember his word. So they're the three things that we get from this passage today in our outline. So the first one, God's plan. Look ahead. What happens, what happens if we lose sight of God's big picture? I'm sure you can relate to this. What happens in your life when you lose sight of the big picture? What happens when hard things happen and you're not thinking about those in terms of God's big picture? What happens? We get discouraged, don't we? Discouragement comes from unmet expectations. So we have expectations about what a loving God would do with our lives and they don't pan out and so we become discouraged. Why doesn't God answer this prayer I keep praying? Why doesn't God bring justice on the world? Why doesn't God, why does he let this thing happen in my life? Maybe he's not a loving king. Maybe he doesn't care for me as much as I thought he did. Maybe he's not powerful like I thought he was. Maybe he's not just like I thought he was. I wonder if you ever struggle with those doubts. It's very normal, isn't it? It's very common to wrestle with those things. Um, The Israelites were asking these same questions. And John Piper uses this analogy of a tapestry. And it's like, you know when you stand really close to a tapestry and it might look kind of ugly and the stitching and it's a bit dark and you don't really see what's going on when you look really close, but you zoom right back and you see this beautiful picture. And we need to see God's our lives in light of this beautiful tapestry that he's doing. But the Israelites are discouraged. Have a look at verse 17. You can see they're asking this question. There's a couple of times they're asking this question. 2 verse 17. 
says, You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, All who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, Where is the God of justice? In other words, they're disillusioned. Life isn't panning out like they were hoping it would. And then have a look at 3 verse 13 to 15, and you see the same thing. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord, yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said, it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper, and when they put God to the test, they get away with it. So they're disillusioned. They're not interpreting what God is doing. They're cynical, and they have unmet expectations. How does God respond to them? Two ways. First way is he reminds them that he is in control, that he has the ball, that he's the king over all of this, that he knows what he's doing and that he's doing what's right. That's the first thing. Second thing, he tells them what he's going to do. He actually lets them in on his plan. So let's look at the first one there quickly. He assures them that he's in control. Again and again in Malachi, you see these words, as we've said, the Lord Almighty. He's the Lord of hosts, and he's constantly reminding them of this fact. Second, in these these words that we've read out, these verses today, that word, I wonder if you can see a word that comes up 26 times. I wonder if you can see it. Might take you a bit, a while, but it's the word will. I will, I will, I will do this. I have got control. Here's my plan. This is what I'm going to do. For example, 3 verse 1. Behold, I will send. There's not a behold there, but it's in the original. Behold, look, this is what I'm going to do. I will send. And then he says it again in 4 verse 5. I will send. I'm going to send someone. I'm doing something. 3 verse 5. I will come. Uh, 3 verse 17. On the day when I act, uh, 4 verse 1, surely the day is coming. You see what the Lord's doing? He's telling them, I've got a plan. This is the plan. It's spelled out clearly. I know what I'm doing. I'm in control. Secondly, he tells them what that plan is. Isn't it amazing how the meaning of life is such a mystery to people when the Bible spells it out so clearly? There's no mystery about the meaning of life. It's all here. It's all given to us. There's no mystery. And God spells out what he's going to do. Now, this is wonderful prophecy that we're going to look at. These are the last words of the Old Testament. Um, If you flick over two pages, it says the New Testament, and then you come to Matthew chapter 1. Now, the time span between those two pages is 400 years. 400 years. But God... He's telling them what he's going to do. And actually between when he says this prophecy about a prophet he's going to send and when it actually happens is 400 years. But there's no voice in Israel for that period. People call it the silent period. A period where God did not send a prophet to Israel. The period between the Testaments. There's no prophet comes. But God says the next big move I'm going to make. Here it is. This is what's going to happen. And it's absolutely spot on as to what happens. He sends a prophet. Have a look at 3 verse 1 and you can see this. He's going, he gives us a glorious picture of what he's going to do. He's going to send two people. I will send my messenger 
who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you desire, will come, says the Lord Almighty. So first, he's going to send this messenger. Now, who is this messenger he's going to send? You may know. that When he says, my messenger, it's the same name as Malachi, my messenger. Actually, he's sending a prophet. He's going to send a prophet before the Lord comes. And he's also called the prophet Elijah. Have a look at chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. And he's talking about the same person here. Now, this is odd because Elijah has already lived and died centuries before. This is strange. He says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and turn the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Who's this talking about? We know really clearly from the New Testament this is talking about who? John the Baptist. The first prophet to arrive in the New Testament is John the Baptist. This is who we're talking about. Uh, Turn, if you will, to Luke chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 and you see this. This isn't a controversial point. This is really clearly spelled out by Jesus and here in Luke chapter 1 as well. Uh, So in Luke chapter 1, it says this. So Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, an angel appears before him. And it says in verse 13 or 14, I think, it says, you ought to call him John. And then it says this. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Interesting, isn't it? That's exactly the words we find in Malachi speaking about John the Baptist. So John the Baptist is this prophet who is to come. What was his ministry? What was he to do? He was calling people to repentance. John the Baptist's ministry was to call back, just like Malachi was, to call God's people back to repentance. That's his ministry before God's judgment comes. God's merciful. He's actually calling the whole world to repentance before he comes again. We're living in this period of grace where everybody has an opportunity. The gospel's going out and everybody has an opportunity to repent. So before the Messiah came, John the Baptist came and preached repentance to turn their hearts back again it's interesting isn't it how he says turn the hearts of the children to the parents a strange language why doesn't he just say turn their hearts back to me my understanding of this is that repentance involves reconciliation and repent real repentance involves reconciliation with God and with people it involves justice it involves reconciliation with man so genuine repentance will outwork itself horizontally in our relationships with others and injustice in the world now Jesus also speaks about uh, John the Baptist being Elijah in Matthew chapter 11 and you know it's interesting that the Jewish people even today, at the end of their Passover meal, they pour, as I understand it, they pour a glass of wine for Elijah and they open the door to allow the prophet Elijah in. There's some kind of waiting for Elijah to come, but Jesus says, actually, Elijah has already come in the form of John the Baptist. If you're able to accept it, Elijah has already come. And after this, so that's the first one, after this, 
And this is the really exciting part. He says, the Lord himself will come. Have a look at verse, chapter 3, verse 1 again. The Lord himself will come. And he says a couple of things about the Lord. The Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. He'll come in the flesh. He's going to visit you personally. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire. This long-expected saviour will come and he'll bring justice. But the question is, do you really want him to come? God's asking the Israelites, I know you really want the Messiah to come. You think you're going to get a king who's going to boot out the enemy and make your lives happy? But are you really ready for him? And this is why we come to the second point, that it's not enough to know God's plan. We need to rejoice in his plan. Do we understand what the Messiah is going to do? So here's our second big heading. It's, a bit, it's the longest one, by the way. The third one's shortest. Rejoice in God's plan. So it's not enough that our heads are in line with God's plan, but our hearts as well. All right. I wonder if you've ever been told, be careful what you wish for. I wish we had a leadership that would really take charge. Be careful what you wish for. I've heard my kids say, it'd be great if we could run the house for a week. Be careful what you wish for. I wonder what they would eat. I just want to eat as much as I can from this fast food menu. Be careful what you wish for. The Israelites are saying, I wish God would hurry up and judge the wicked. Be careful what you wish for. Have a look at 2 verse 17 again. He says, where is the God of justice? I wish God would come and do what he told Israel he would do and boot out the wicked and make us a great nation. And what does God say? Have a look at verse 2 of chapter 3. He says, the day is coming when I will bring judgment, but who can endure it? Who can stand when he appears? Are you really ready for my coming? And he says, look at chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. And this is the shocking part to them. He says, I will come and I'll put you on trial. I'll come and I'm going to put you on trial. He says, I will be quick to testify against sorcerers. So don't think about Gandalf people in pointy hats. Think about maybe people who are using occult powers. Okay, so sorcerers adulterers and perjurers against those who defraud laborers of their wages who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice but do not fear me says the Lord Almighty so the Lord looks at the Israelites and says actually you're out of step with me you're practicing injustice and you are in the crosshairs of my judgment as well you are not in right relationship with me and so this judgment will be a serious day for you if you don't fear me, is what he's saying. So we need to examine ourselves. So there's a call to repentance for us. There's this promise of coming judgment. And actually we stand, as we'll see, with this judgment ahead of us. Are you looking forward to that day? Where do you stand? And are you ready for that day to come? Because it is coming. Now something we think about the Messiah, I think um, in our culture... We tend to focus, as Jesus is the lion and the lamb, isn't he? We tend to focus on Jesus being a lamb in our culture. We find it easy to accept the, the comfy things about Jesus. The fact that he's meek and gentle. He was born in a stable. These are all wonderful things. He, he, he's a, a healer and he's a friend of sinners. Absolutely, he's all of those things. 
but he's also a lion. He hates sin and he's going to come to destroy sin. And the ministry of the Messiah here is described as one who's going to come and destroy sin. So the coming of the Messiah is not just salvation. It is salvation, but it's also judgment. It's salvation and judgment. It's putting an end to sin. Now, John the Baptist spoke about Jesus in this way in Matthew 3. He said, one is coming after me whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. And he says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So there's that salvation and judgment thing. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And John the Baptist says he's going to, and he gives this illustration of the, the wheat barn. And he says, you know, when you, they, they used to sort out the husks of the wheat from the actual grain. And he says, he's going to gather the wheat into the barn and burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. That's what John the Baptist says about Jesus' ministry. Now, how do we understand this? How does this make sense? I want you to imagine uh, there's a hill near my dad, where my dad lives. And it looks, as you're driving towards it, it looks like it's a hill with a flat top. It's not a large hill. It's called a mountain, but it's, it's not a mountain. It's a hill. But as you're looking at from one angle, it looks like it's just one hill with a flat top. As you're driving past it, it's two hills. It's actually two separate hills. Now, John the Baptist and Malachi are looking ahead to the Messiah's ministry and they're describing it as one thing in one kind of as if he's going to come and do these both at the same time. Now we know that the Messiah comes twice doesn't he? He's already been once and he's coming again. So we sort of stand in a sense and we're looking to the side between these two hills. Jesus has come already and brought salvation and he's coming again to judge the living and the dead, as we say in the creeds that we say. As the Bible says, he's coming again. So Jesus has come and he put to death sin in his body, didn't he? He died and took God's wrath and paid for sin so that if we trust in him, we can be forgiven. But he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. And that day is called a great and dreadful day. You can see in our passage, it's called the great and dreadful day. How do you feel about the day of judgment to come? It depends where we stand with him, doesn't it? It depends where we stand with the Lord. And in our culture, as I said, you know, some cultures, the idea of God's judgment, I was talking to a friend who's uh, working in a Middle Eastern country just the other day, and he was saying how they're okay with the idea of God's judgment, but they struggle with the idea of forgiveness and grace. I think we're the opposite aren't we we're okay with forgiveness and grace but we struggle with the idea of God's judgment but the the judgment of the Lord is coming on the world he's going to come again and that day will either be a delight or a misery depending on where you stand with him depending on where you stand so that image we're given in chapter 4 verse 1 to 3 is the image of a refinery or a furnace now the idea of a furnace isn't just to obliterate everything it has a purpose have a look at verse 1 to 3 of chapter 4. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And that day that it is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root, root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And you will go out and frolic 
like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. There will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. So this day of judgment's coming. Now, the truth is we're all of us by nature rebels. It's not like Christians or the Israelites or anyone else are by nature better than anyone else. It all depends on where we stand with the Lord. It all depends on whether we've repented, whether we fear him, whether we've come into right relationship with him. He gives the picture of the sun rising. It's like a fire. We talk about fire being our friend or our enemy, depending on uh, what it's doing and our relation to it. It's like the sun gives the picture of the sun rising. Now, we know that the sun is deadly if you get too close to it. Um, just go to Australia in the summertime and stand out in the sun for a few hours and you, with a bald head and you'll know what I'm talking about. You'll get fried. If we're too close to the sun, we get burned by it. If we're in the right position with respect to it, it's life-giving. The critical thing on the Day of Judgment is where you stand in relation to God, where you stand in relation to the Messiah. So where do you stand? Where do you stand in relation to the Messiah? For some, for those who fear him, have a look at chapter 4, verse 2. It says, for those who revere my name, for those people... It'll be a glorious day, an exciting day. Talks about this idea of frolicking like calves released from the stall. I was watching a, 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 something on TV recently about milk and how it was promoting organic milk and so it actually converted us to organic milk because they, uh, they make sure the cows are out, uh, in the, on the, out of the stalls and in their field for at least half of the year. And they showed pictures of these cows. When, and this is grown-up cows, not just calves, released from the stall and they're jumping like little calves, so excited to be out and free on the grass. So the idea here is of freedom. Finally, this day has come where I'm, I'm free from sin and I'm free from the misery of sin. God will wipe every tear away. Like C.S. Lewis says, it's like waking up and realizing that the the school term is over and the holidays have begun. How exciting. That's what the day, the final day will be like for those who fear the Lord. No more misery, no more struggle. I'm home, finally, with the Lord. So where do you stand with him? Where do you stand with him in relation to the Son? Where do you stand in relation to the Son of God? That's the critical thing. And the call is for us to repent. So when Jesus comes again, he'll either come as judge or saviour, depending on where you stand with him. The call is for us to repent. And it says in 2 Peter 3, 14, make every effort to be blameless, to be spotless, and found at peace with him. Now, the only way we can do that is by faith in Jesus Christ, who puts to death sin and takes it away. It's not by trying to get our act together. It's by repentance and having a heart changed, a heart forgiven and cleansed from sin. So, What's God's intent for us right now? If you've come to faith in Christ, what does that mean? How do we interpret the things he's doing in life? Well, have a look at chapter 3, verse 2 to 4. And it says here, it talks about the final day. There's two pictures here. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in days gone by, as in former days. So God, there's two images there, isn't there, about what he's doing with his people. 
And this is the exciting part, is God's actually intent on getting rid of sin in us and making us a people who are fit to worship him. So there's two images. The first one is of launderer's soap. Now, the old method of laundry was quite aggressive. You know, scrub and bash the clothes against a piece of wood or whatever they would do. I don't, I don't know if you're like this. There's one domestic chore I don't mind, and that's washing the dishes. I don't mind. Maybe it gives me some headspace uh, from all the, the chaos with kids in the house. Um, but if you're like me, a sponge isn't often enough. I want steel wool. If I'm serious about cleaning something, I want to really get in there and, and scour it away. And this is what the Lord's like. He's committed to actually cleaning us and making us fit for his dwelling. And the other picture he gives is of refining metal. Now, the idea of refining silver, and I've, I just did a little bit of reading on this. I won't pretend to be an expert. But the idea is that the, 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 the refiner actually sits there, like the Lord says, he'll sit as a refiner and it's a very sort of intent process where he can't leave the metal because he can't get too hot so it's this very deliberate process where the dross is burned away and the, the crucibles here and the molten metals in it and the refiner knows when he's done his job because he can see his reflection in the silver isn't that interesting so the, it's like the Lord is wanting to conform us to his image until he can see his reflection in us so it's a very deliberate process the Lord is burning away the dross in our lives to make us worshipers so Christ when he came was to create a new people in his image that are fit for his dwelling he destroys the sinful nature and then he's in the business in your life of conforming you to his image how does that look in our lives well think about this why does he bring about hardship in your lives if God is committed to making you wholehearted worshippers, then what is he going to do? If we are being refined by him, then what does that mean? It means that your whole life is going to be a constant refining process until you get to the last day. That means there's going to be hard things. He's going to burn away the dross. Now, if we're not listening to his word, it's not going to make sense. It's going to feel like he's not loving us. It's not going to feel like he's against us. We need to understand and be thankful for and trust his big picture. That he's purifying us to be a people for his very own. Think about this. The Lord has a bigger vision for your eternal joy than you do. Do you believe that? Do you trust him? The Lord is more committed to your eternal joy than you are. He loves you deeply and so he's more committed. Often we, want to, we would be happy with a pleasant, comfy life. But the Lord loves you more than that. He's not content for you just to have a comfy life. He wants to make you into the likeness of his son. And so that means he's going to bring difficult things into our lives and conforming us into his image. He's got a grand picture in mind. I'm going to read out a picture that C.S. Lewis uses to describe this in his book, Mere Christianity. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. 
throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. That's God's vision for you. So he is going to refine you and bring you through difficult things to the point where you're conformed to his image. So God is passionate about making us wholehearted worshippers. We've been saying this. We need to rejoice in that program. We need to understand what he's doing, see our lives in the big picture and rejoice in his program. God is about changing our hearts, not just our circumstances, isn't he? Often we want our circumstances to change. and He's about changing our hearts. Now, is that something you're excited about? We're told in the Bible to rejoice in trials. It's not easy. It's easy for me to say. It's more difficult when we're in it, isn't it? But the Bible says rejoice in these trials because the Lord's conforming you to his eternal image. That he's fiercely passionate about you becoming like his son. All right, third point here. Remember the covenant. Last subheading here. We're almost done. Do you know what it's like when you're lost in the mall or the, the big national park and you, you, what you want is a sign that says you are here? You know those signs and you, know, you might have a map and you're trying to orient the map and uh, understand, yeah, I'm, I'm here, but which way is that street going? And we need those, don't we? We need to orient ourselves on the big plan. And so the Lord, as we said, is telling us to look ahead to his coming and he wants us to look back. Have a look at chapter 4, verse 4. And he, he, this is the one final command in the Old Testament. He says, Remember the law of my servant Moses and the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb, Mount Sinai, for all Israel. Remember my word that I gave you. Remember the covenant that you entered into. Remember who you are. Remember what he said at Sinai. He said, I'm the Lord, your God, who brought you out of slavery, out of the land of Egypt. And so here's all my commands for you. So remember who you are. Remember what I've done for you. Remember my word and my commands for you. So we need to not forget. What's he saying to us now with people in the new covenant? What's he saying? Remember the new covenant. Remember what Jesus has done. Remember who you are as my redeemed people. Don't forget. Remember my commands. Remember my word. My question for you is, and if we're people who delight in God's big picture view and we know and rejoice in his view, what does that mean we need to be doing constantly? Is going back to the scriptures and interpreting our lives through the lens of God's word, the scriptures. So how are you going at that? How are you going at reading the Bible? Because the more you do, the more you'll understand God's plan for your life and be able to orient yourself With it, you'll be able to interpret what's going on in your life through the lens of God's word, through the lens of his kingdom. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. Why do so many of us lack joy in the Christian life? Because we're not listening to God's word. We're listening to the world or interpreting what's going on in the world by our own feelings, by our own desire. We need to constantly go back to the word. This is what we need to do. So a worshiper is someone who's desperate to hear from God wants to understand, what, what are you doing in my life? What, what, what are you saying? What's your will for my life? So remember Christ. Remember, he loves you. You're his treasured possession. You've been redeemed. Remember that he's committed to making you into his likeness. Remember the hope that you're called to. Remember the, 
the promises of the final day ahead. So remember all these things. Remember God's word. So are you desperate to hear from him? If not, then do what you need to do to get back into a pattern of reading God's word before work and whenever works for you. But we need to be listening to the Lord. How's that going? It says in 2 Peter 1 verse 19, it says, we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And it says, you will do well to pay attention to it until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So pay attention to the word until the day dawns and listen to what God is saying. So just to finish, recap, we had know God's plan, rejoice in God's plan, and remember the covenant. Remember God's word. So the Messiah has come. He's coming again. Rejoice in what he's doing, judging the wicked, delighting in justice, loving what he loves, getting in step with his plan for your life, repenting, delighting in his plan, and remember his word. Uh, Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come to the end of the book of Malachi, the end of the Old Testament, we're amazed and we rejoice at the fact that we see uh, your plan through history so seamlessly woven together. We can look back and see your promise to Malachi and his pe- uh, your people, Israel, about a, a prophet to come and then the Messiah. And we see how that's so clearly fulfilled. Uh, it's amazing to look back on your promises. And Lord, in the same way that those things certainly happened, we know we can look ahead to how you're certainly going to come again, Lord Jesus. And Lord, help us to live our lives in light of your coming, the final day, your coming again. And may we make every effort to find ourselves spotless, blameless, at peace with you. I pray for those here who haven't come into relationship with you, that they would repent of their sin and put their trust in you as their saviour, the one who takes away all sin, that that eternal work might be begun in their lives so that on the last day, Lord, they can stand full of joy before you. Lord, we thank you for redeeming us. And those of us who you have brought into relationship with you, we pray we'd press on. We pray we wouldn't be lost in the small picture, but we'd trust your word and know that you're doing this great work in us, that you love us. So help us to trust you and delight in your great plan in the world. And thank you that you're a God who hates sin and misery and loves people, that you're going to put an end to all of it, all sin and misery. And so we praise you that you're a loving God. Help us to trust you when things don't seem to make sense and come back to your word again. So make us wholehearted worshipers, we pray. Most of all, remind us of how much you love us Help us to interpret life, all of, all of life through that grid, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.